Hey guys, we're continuing in our series called The Shepherd, and we've been looking at Psalms chapter 23, verses 1 through 6, and really we've been talking about what does it mean for the Lord to be our shepherd? What exactly does the shepherd do? Well, he does four things. He guides, provides, corrects, and protects. That's what the shepherd does. Guides, provides, corrects, and protects. Now, here's the thing. He is not, God rather, is not everybody's shepherd. Now, he wants to be. He makes provision for us to be. But in order for God to be our shepherd, we've got to come under his covering. For those of you that were here in the first week, you remember Jordan had Jordan up here with the big umbrella. So we have to come up under his protection. And so, or his covering rather. And so in order to do that, I've got to release me of me. I've got to resign of CEO of my universe. And I've got to give my heart and life to Jesus to ask him to come in and be my shepherd. And so what we've been doing is going week by week, phrase by phrase out of this scripture. And we've been talking about how, again, the shepherd guides, provides, corrects, and protects. And so I want to pull out another phrase for you today, just real quickly. So Psalms 23, verses 1 through 6. And if you're like me, I remembered it out of the uh, King James Version. Any, any King James Version folks in the house? Some of you are like, King who? Yeah, but anyway, so I like to read it out of that. Here it is. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And then he does something. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, what do they do? They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can I get a good amen? Go to reading of the word. So Father, right now we just ask that you would uh, open our hearts. Speak into our souls today. Help us to be more like you in Jesus' name. And everybody in the house said amen. I want to pull out a phrase from the Psalms today, and it's a phrase called, restores my soul. Have you ever had a, a, a time in your life, a season in your life, if you will, where, where there was just some brokenness on the inside of you? There, you know, some cracks. Yeah, and, and I know it's hard, right? Because here's, here's the way we like to look. In, in public, we like to look like shiny, no cracks, come on, no, no imperfections, we've got it all together, but this is private when reality, or public, in reality, private life looks like this. We've got some holes in us. We've got some cracks in us. We've, we've got some things that have happened in our heart, things that have happened in our life. And as a result, we, we're, we're broken on the inside. We need someone to restore us. And so how does the shepherd restore our soul? And I think there's three primary ways that he does that. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The first way, because again, remember... This is public. Come on, we've got it all together. We look good. We look shiny. Come on, we dress up. Man, we shower like once a week. We got all this going on. So this is, this is kind of the public life. But in reality, this is what happens. We're broken on the inside. 
We've got some pieces missing. We're shattered a little bit. We're cracked a little bit. Come on, has life hit you hard? You ever been through seasons in your life where you felt like this? And so how does God take this and turn it into this? How can the public life match the private life, if you will? And so let me give you three ways that he does that. The first one is this. God restores my soul. How? By removing my guilt. By removing my guilt. Anybody ever tasted the bitter pill of guilt before? You know, that, that thing that maybe you've done something in your past. Maybe you've gone somewhere. You looked at some Whatever the case, there's something in your past. And your past pain is holding you in a present prison. And you feel guilty because of it. Well, David, actually the psalm writer of Psalms 23 that talked about how the Lord restores my soul. Listen at what he says in Psalms 38 verse 4 and then down in verse 6. He says, my what? My guilt. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. David at this time in his life was looking back on a season where there was some things that were happening and there was this guilt that just overwhelmed him. And he said, man, it's like a burden. He said, I can't even hardly lift it. I can't carry it. And and as a result, he says, I'm bowed down and brought low all day long, he says. I go around mourning. Anybody ever felt that before? Come on, anybody ever been there before, been to, to that place? And, 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 and listen, I, I know that we, we're kind of shy as it relates to guilt. We're shy as it relates to our brokenness on the inside. But let me give you a couple things you need to know about guilt. This is not in your notes. This is kind of free. You might want to write this one down. The first thing is we all have guilt. Come on, we've all been there before. We've all tasted that pill before. We've all had things in our past. We've all turned right when God said, hey, I really need you to turn left. We've, we've all got guilt. And let me ask you, how many of you are feeling guilty for something you did this week? Come on, don't raise your hand. Amen, don't raise it. <laughs> Just look at your neighbor and say, you know. Amen, you know. We all have plenty of guilt, but here's the second thing you need to understand about guilt. God can't remove it unless you're honest about it. Let me let that hang for a second. God can't remove your guilt unless you're honest about it, unless you're willing to face it. And and here's the thing. We don't really like to face this, do we? We don't like to face the cracks and the holes and, and all of the stuff going on in our life. We would rather just let our lives look like this. We would rather just say, okay, I've got it all together. I'm in good shape. We're all good. But in reality, you've got this. And here's the thing that you have to understand. We don't like to deal with the specific things in our lives. But Proverbs tells us this. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27. The Lord gives us a mind and a conscience. And because of that, we cannot hide from ourselves. So you can play the game all you want and and try to look like this. But the Bible says you've got a mind, you've got a conscience. The Spirit of God is pulling at you. You know what you ought to be doing. And so you can't hide from all of this that's going on in your life. And so what do we really need to do? We really just need to face it, come to God, confess it, and, and, and say, Lord, hey, I messed up. Here it is. But we really don't like to do that. We really do one of five things. The first thing we do is we deny it. Come on, how many of you got young kids at the house? Used to have young kids at the house. Come on, how many of you? Misty will make a big old tray of chocolate chip cookies. 
And I've got my youngest son, Aiden. Come on, Cookie Monster, a.k.a. Amen, that's Aiden. Aiden will go in. He'll sneak into the kitchen. And you can see him because he tries to duck down. And he ducks down like up under the bar area there. And he walks and you can see the top of his head. I'm like, I see you. He's like, no, you don't. Amen. And he goes in there and he reaches in and he grabs like cookie. I think he shoves them in his pocket and he ducks down again. I'm like, I still see you. No, you don't. Walks into his room and I'll walk in behind him. He's got chocolate everywhere. Mouth, crumbs. And I'm like, dude. Why are you eating the cookies? He said, wasn't me. <laughs> well, how many of you know he takes out to his mama's people? Amen. He said, it wasn't me. Wasn't me. I'm like, brother, the evidence is there. He's like, wasn't me. So this is what we like to do with guilt. We like to deny it. And here's another thing we like to do. We like to bury our past. But here's what you need to understand about burying your past When you bury that past, it will always resurrect at the most inconvenient times. So you could try to move on with your life. You could try to move on with a relationship. You could try to move forward with whatever you got. But if you try to bury that past alive, it's going to resurrect at the most inconvenient times. So you need to deal with it. But we deny it. Here's another thing we do. We minimize it. Oh, man, it ain't no big deal. Everybody's doing it, preacher. Why can't I do it? But here's the problem with that. Everybody is not the standard. God's holiness is the standard. And so doesn't matter what you've done, whether it's big or small, it doesn't matter. You've got to be willing to face it and own up to it. But we don't like to do that. We deny it. We minimize it. Here's another thing we do. We, we compromise it. We just decide in our own heart, in our own mind, it's not wrong. I mean, the only reason why I felt bad was because they told me it was wrong. But it's not really wrong. And how many of you know if you do something like over and over and over, eventually you get to the point where it's like, man, I don't even feel wrong anymore. Let's just keep doing it. Someone once says, if you commit a sin twice, it won't seem like sin anymore. I mean, there's a lot of truth in that. And, and, and so what we do, we try to compromise. We, we hide. No, it's not really wrong. And so we compromise it. To the place where our conscience, the Bible says, is seared like a hot iron. It's seared so we don't feel anything anymore. Here's another thing we do. We rationalize it. We rationalize. We tell ourselves rational lies. And when you do that, you understand that you never get past your guilt that way. And then here's the the last thing we do. We like to play the blame game. Come on. We blame everybody else. It's the culture's fault. It's society's fault. It's my teacher's fault. It's COVID's fault. It's my parents' fault. They beat me too much. Whatever. It's everybody else's fault. And so we have become experts at pointing the finger when what we really need to do is pull the thumb and say, it's my fault. I take responsibility. So we deny, minimize, compromise, rationalize. We We blame, but you understand none of these things work. There's only one thing that works as it relates to dealing with the cracks and the holes and the guilt in my life. And that's found in Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. It says, all of us have sinned. There it is. We've all tasted the bitter pill of guilt. We've messed up. Yet God declares us not guilty if we do something, if we trust in Jesus Christ. So we got to be willing to trust in Him who in mercy freely takes away 
our sins. And you understand this is the most basic truth of Christianity. That Jesus died for our sins. He bore our sins on himself. And all we have to do is trust in him. Why? Because God's holiness is the standard. We sinned against him. That's why no counselor can remove it. No pastor can remove it. Nobody can remove it except from God because we have sinned against God. It, it would kind of be like me looking at Kevin and I've sinned against Kevin, but I go to Dwayne and say, Dwayne, forgive me for what I did for Kevin. I mean, if you know the relationship with Kevin's not restored. If I'm going to Dwayne, what's Dwayne going to do? Dwayne got nothing to do with it. So I've got to go back to the person that I actually wronged, that I sinned against. And that's why we have to be willing to go to God. And you say, well, I don't think God will receive me. I mean, you, you don't know what I've done, Pastor. You don't know where I've been. But, but let me tell you what God will do. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If you confess your sins, what does God do? He forgives your sins. He's faithful to do that. So you've got to trust in Him. You've got to believe in Him. And when you do that, there's this free gift that comes. There's a clean slate. There's a fresh start. And some of you are like, well, Pastor, I've done that and I still feel guilty. Well, if you still feel guilty, then that means one or two things are true. Either in your mind or some area of your life, you're still rationalizing, compromising, minimizing, denying or blaming someone, or you really don't believe that God has forgiven you. And what's the requirement? Trust. I have to trust in Him. Here's the truth about forgiveness. It's wrapped up really in one scripture, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. He has forgiven how much? All your sins. Turn to somebody and say all. He's forgiven all your sins. He has utterly wiped out. Come on, wipe the slate. How many of you guys remember the Etch-A-Sketch board? You remember that? I know I'm dating myself. Some of you millennials like, oh, what? Uh huh? Yeah, whatever. It's a little red board and you had to turn two dials. How many of you remember that? Come on. You draw something, you mess it up. What'd you do? Shake it up, baby. Amen. Shake it up. And it would clean the slate. And so that's what we got to do. We go to God and he cleans the slate. He utterly wipes it out. The evidence of broken commandments which hung over our heads. He completely annulled it by doing what? Nailing it to the cross. Once you get to the place in your life where you stop rationalizing and compromising and minimizing and denying and blaming others. Get to the place where you're willing to face what you've done. Face it. Confess it. Go to God. Trust what Christ did on Calvary. Then you understand at that moment something happens. You realize that I don't have to nail myself to the cross anymore because Jesus has already nailed his self to the cross and he took my sin and my shame on the cross of Calvary. So God wants to be your shepherd. He wants to restore your soul by removing your guilt. Here's the second thing he does. He restores by relieving my grief. Relieving my grief. Sometimes the pain in our soul has nothing to do with what we have did, but everything to do with what we've lost. And for some of you this morning, some of you watching online right now, maybe you're, you're, you're in a grieving process. Maybe you've lost something. 
Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe there's been a rejection, a rejection in marriage, a rejection in a relationship. Maybe you've got a doctor's report. Maybe you've lost a pet. Whatever the case, you're grieving. And grieving is just simply, what is it doing? It's, it's releasing whatever you've lost, whatever you were emotionally bonded with. And here's what I want to really, really point at. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. I've seen too many people in their lives, they've, they've, they've suffered loss and they're grieving. And then it's almost like they feel bad because they're grieving. It's almost like, well, so-and-so, they've gotten over it and they've moved on. And here I am, I'm still hurting, Pastor. Let me, let me tell you, you need to stop doing that. Because grief happens in waves. When something first happened, it feels like a tidal wave and it, and it hits you all at once. And there's all the brokenness and all the pieces and all the cracks. And it's there and it's, it's visible and everybody sees it. And then over time, we feel like, well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe today's okay. It's, it's a good day. But it could be a thought. It could be a memory. It could be anything. And all of a sudden, you go back to this. And maybe you want to cry. Maybe you... You just want to scream. Come on, anybody ever been there? You just want to scream. You just, you just want to get it all out. Maybe you need to go see a counselor. But, but here's the thing. You need to be able to grieve in a healthy way. You know, we, we talk about David and how he's writing all these psalms. And Psalms 23. And he had this grief. But there was also a time where he suffered tremendous loss. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, he talks about the, the, the death of his son. And in, in verse 20... Here's what David does. He, he finds out that his son is, is passed. He gets up from the ground after he washed and put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord. And what did he do? He worshipped. He worshipped. There's always hope in Jesus Christ. Always. And I want to just kind of slow down right here. Because I know some of you right now, some of you watching online, I know you're grieving right now. There's loss in your life and you're experiencing it and it's not fun and I am so sorry you're hurting. But there is a God that loves you and cares for you and He wants to restore you. How does He do that? Well, Isaiah chapter 61 verse 3 says this, To all who mourn, if you're grieving, if you're broken, if you're, if you're dealing with this, this anxiety of life. God, I don't know how to get through it. I don't know what's going on. How do you restore me? He says, if you're mourning, what will he do? He will give you beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of heaviness. God's not done with you yet. He wants to restore your soul by removing your guilt, by relieving your grief. And then here's the third thing. Let God release my grudges. Come on, somebody. Let God release my grudges. Sometimes the damage in our soul comes from what I've done to others, what I've done to God. Sometimes it comes from that. Sometimes it comes from the loss that I've had in my life. Sometimes it comes from the grudges that I carry because of what someone has done to me. Has anybody ever hurt you before? Come on, anybody ever hurt you? Everybody ever said something or done something to you? Amen, we've all been there and it, and it leaves us broken on the inside. Either way, the way you respond determines one of two things. It determines you being bitter or it determines you being better. 
You notice the only difference in those two words is one letter. It's the letter I. From bitter to better is the letter I. So what am I going to do with the bitterness? What am I going to do with the hurt? What am I going to do with the pain that people have caused me? What am I going to do? I'm going to go to the shepherd. I'm going to go to him. I'm going to serve him. And, and, and listen, here's the thing. As I'm talking about this right now, some of you got knots in your stomach because you're thinking of that person. You're thinking of that situation. You're thinking of that circumstance. But Job chapter 5 verse 2 tells us this. To worry yourself to death with resentment would be what? A foolish, senseless thing to do. So here you are and you're stewing and you're puffing and you're huffing and you're mad and you're still stuck. And the person who did all of this, guess what they're doing? What's up? They're at the beach. They're having a good time. Most of them don't even realize what they've done. I was reading this morning doing a devotion. And I come across a saying that really, really stuck and resonated with me. When you hold a grudge against someone, you are allowing that person to live rent-free in your mind. When you hold a grudge against someone, and, and again, man, some of it, hey, man, ain't no forgiving that guy. When you hold a grudge against someone, you're allowing that person to live rent-free in your mind. They're there. So what do I do with my grief? What do I do? Two things. Romans chapter 12 verse 19. Dear friends, never, never, never avenge yourself. What does it say? Leave that to God. Romans 12, 19. Leave that to God. Get rid of it. Leave it up to God. Let Him deal with it. Well, if I do that, then that person's going to get away scot-free. And listen... When it comes to avenging yourself, who do you think is better at that, you or God? God. So we have to leave these things to God. What is the job of our shepherd? God provide, correct, and what? Protect. This falls up under protection. This is what God wants to do. So how do I get rid of my grief? First of all, I've got to leave it to God. Second of all, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32 says this. I've got to get rid of all bitterness. Got to get rid of those grudges. How? Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So if you're hurting today because someone hurt you, how do I get past it? I leave it to God. I accept God's forgiveness in my heart. I accept His forgiveness in my life. And then I have to be willing to offer the same forgiveness God gave me to other people. Is that easy? Absolutely not. It's hard. But it's the only way to move past it. So our shepherd comes in and what does he do? He removes my guilt. He relieves my grief. He releases my grudges. They're the same David who wrote the Psalms 23. We've seen a lot of his emotions today just going through different scriptures. But there was also a time in his life where he says, My soul is downcast. Psalms chapter 42, verse 11. David says, Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. You ever had a season in your life where you just felt like everything inside of you was just downcast? 
You know, it's interesting. We've been talking a lot about the characteristics of the sheep and the shepherd. And, and this is another characteristic. The downcast position for a sheep is when that sheep falls over. Sheep are top heavy. And so when they fall over, they immediately roll over on their back. And because they're frightened, they're scared, they start bleeding out. They, you know, help, like crying for help. And what it does is it signals the predators in the area, here is a defenseless sheep. And so they come in and attack that sheep. But not only that, the fluid begins to build in that sheep's stomach. Circulation is limited. Their legs go numb. And in a matter of hours, the sheep will die unless the shepherd comes in and picks them back up. And so that shepherd will come over there and he'll gently pick that sheep back up, massaging the legs to get the, the blood circulating in them again. He'll, he'll speak softly to the sheep. He'll, he'll comfort the sheep. He'll, he'll speak to that sheep. And here the sheep is. And they're restored completely. And it's the same thing that God does to us. With the guilt and the pain of our past. With the sense of loss and the grieving process we're going through. And the grudges we're holding. And we find ourselves broken on the inside. Saying, God, I need you. But in the place where there was death, the Savior comes and brings life to our soul. And a thing that would not grow, all of a sudden something begins to grow out of you. Because you were willing to come under the protection and the covering of the shepherd who loves you, who cares for you, and who wants you to have not only a life, but an abundant life. And he does this for you, and he does it for me. But we have to be willing to come up under the covering of the shepherd for that to happen. So where are you at today? You find yourself filled with guilt. The guilt of your past and the pain and the memories. Do you find yourself in a place of, of grieving and you just you don't know how to get over that? You don't know. And, and again, I'm not saying you need to just get over it. There's a process there. But you need to carry that grief to God. You need to go to Him. Maybe there's some grudges. Maybe you're letting somebody live rent-free in your mind. What are you doing with that? You've got to go to the shepherd. And he causes things to grow out of you that didn't grow before. It only happens when you go to him. When you surrender to him. So why don't you stand with me all over the house today? Father, we love you. Father, we thank you. Lord, in these moments, we, we find ourselves in this thing called life. And life at times hits us like a ton of bricks. Life at times hits us out of nowhere. And we find ourselves dealing with guilt and grief and grudges. And Father, in these moments, we need a shepherd. We need someone to come in and restore us. We need someone to come in that can, that can lift us up. 
massage us a little bit. Because, Lord, life has a tendency of hurting us and wounding us. And so we need some massage. We need someone to speak softly into our hearts and into our souls. Father, that's you. That's you. And here we are today. And Lord, we just open our hearts. We give you everything we've got. And so why don't you bow your heads with me all over the house. And let me just ask you a question. On the day of celebration, we're getting ready to go into our baptismal service. A day of celebration. Let me ask you where you are. Is there something you're dealing with in your past? Maybe there's a grieving process that you haven't really gone to God and given it to Him. Maybe there's some grudges that you're, you're holding on to. God wants to heal you of that. He wants to help you, but first you have to come to Him. You have to give Him your heart. You have to give Him your life. So right there where you are, those of you watching online, would you say, Pastor, today I'm ready to go all in. I'm ready to give Him everything I've got. And if that describes you right there where you are, right there online, would you just be willing to lift a hand? If you're online, put it in the chat box. Seize the hands. I'm ready to go all in. Ready to go all in. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you. We saw some hands raised in the house. No doubt there may be a son online as well. So, Father, we ask you now, to cleanse us of our sins. Come on, let's pray this prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Create in me a new heart. Renew in me a right spirit. Father, I believe you died on the cross. You rose the third day. Lord, I give you my life. I give you everything I've got. Forgive me of my sins and use me in Jesus' name.